Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fugae to Fugazi. Joining me today to discuss Lockdown from the 1989 Margin Walker EP is Tom Gibbs, a music and sports journalist from London who writes for The Telegraph. Tom, how are you doing? I'm very well, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. A, a total honour to be talking about Fugazi uh, on a on a dreary evening in London. <laughs> no. uh, uh, an atypical dreary London evening. <laughs> oh man, yeah. that's that's yeah. a real shame. Speaking of London, I my first question for you is not Fugazi related, but you know I'm something of a student of language, and something came up that. Uh, suddenly grabbed my interest, which is that your title in your email signature is Senior Sports Writer. Now, I was under the impression that English people always said sport, like singular, like you say, I love sport. Can you clarify what's the grammatical rule here? I, I must know. This is an absolute minefield. And when I took this most recent job, I've been with The Telegraph for a while. I've been with the sports uh, desk for most of my time there. I really had to think about, am I sports or am I sports? And I went back <laughs> through some of my other job titles I've had, and, and it has changed. I think, I think the reason it's pluralized in the case of my job title is it's the sports desk. So it's not the sports desk. Uh, and also because I'm supposed to be someone who covers and knows about lots of different sports, I think perhaps the S gives that a bit more gravitas than just just the singular. But it's it's a it's a thorny one. The one that always catches me out as someone who likes a lot of American sport as well as English sport is um, team names, which are always singular, seemingly. In, um, in well, let me get this the right way around. It's the, <laughs> so like my my NFL team is the Minnesota Vikings, and people talk about the Vikings is a good team this year. That that, that is a playoff team, and we would always say are. Oh. So my soccer team is Queens Park Rangers, and Queens Park Rangers are a fantastic football team who've who've had a fantastic win today. So that's um that's one of the uh, the many many pitfalls we can make across the Atlantic when trying to get things right in our language. One that I always loved is um, you guys say. You know, I broke a leg and had to go to hospital, right? No, with no article, just go to hospital, and we always say go to the hospital. Is is there a is there a deep societal reason for that and a history of public health care that's that's doing that there? We say things like go to school. We don't say go to the school, right? Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. Your way seems to be more consistent. So I don't know. Uh, I, I just I but love you, thinking you about guys these do things. singular bands as well, don't you? You say you say Fugazi is a great band, which sounds absolutely bonkers to me. That Fugazi <laughs> are a great band. Come on. I, I, my listeners are dropping off by the moment, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's fascinating stuff. <laughs> sorry guys, sorry guys. Uh, let's let's talk about Fugazi though, because. Uh, you wrote for this one week, one band project almost a decade ago, and you interviewed all the members of Fugazi. And I had actually already in this podcast, I've cited your work there. Uh, I think I quoted uh, something that Guy said in an interview that you did with him. So um, maybe that's a good entry point to talking about your history with Fugazi. Um, but would you like to talk about that and also how you first got into them and such in whatever order you please? Of course, yeah. Always very happy to talk about myself, Ian. Um, the, that One Week, One Band blog is edited by a fellow called Hendrik Yasnok, and it is it is exactly what it says. Uh, it's giving one writer a whole week to uh, write about one band. Um, 
and I did it in 2012, and uh, I was I was really happy to get into Fugazi because it, it, to, in that blog, it felt like an interesting time in their history where the only thing that seemed to come up when people were talking about Fugazi 10 years ago was all about their practices away from music, the cheap shows, uh, the the ethics, um, you know, the, the decision to stick uh, on an independent label, their own label, throughout their career. Which seems such a shame to me, because I've always found their music really overlooked and incredibly rewarding and catchy, and it's, they're just so sort of infinitely listenable to me. So... My um, my highfalutin concept for that week was was to completely ignore the stuff that usually gets talked about um, with Fugazi and just focus on the music. Um, so I, I kind of sold it to the band that way when I was getting in touch with them, and they were. Um, it won't surprise any listeners to your podcast. No, they they just couldn't have been more delightful about that. They were incredibly accommodating and and gave me their time. Brendan actually um, very patiently <laughs> tried to explain to me why the. Um, the drum hits at the end of oh, what's the song on end hits um, where there's uh, no surprise mm-hmm. where there's lots of silence and then those um, the titular end hits come in at the end. That's always slightly bugged me because I'm I've, I used to drum and I'd always try to count along with that and figure out oh, what is that how many measures <laughs> is that and it, it it always seems slightly off. So I ended up having this really surreal conversation with with Brendan, who was was such a hero to me, where I was trying to play it to him. He was trying to listen to it on Spotify, and we were trying to get to the bottom of it, and he couldn't quite um, <laughs> work it out. But he did apologize, which which was incredibly charming. It's the sort of thing he just went by feel, I guess? I, I think so. His justification was, you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty excited to be playing with each other. Um, I, I asked him, are you going to kind of correct that in the remasters? But he wasn't so sure. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, that would be a, be a tragedy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I read all the interviews, and they're all great, so I'll link those in the show notes for sure so that uh, listeners can Thank check you. them out. That's really kind. Um, how did you get started listening to Fugazi? you remember the, the f- introductory moment for you? I do, yeah, and I will. Um, I have to forgive uh, you. Know, I have to forgive me if I'm repeating anything from from that blog, um, which was seen by many, many dozens of people when I did <laughs> write that week. Um, but but it's a story I told there in the introductory post. I think my route into Fugazi is probably the least cool route of anyone you've had on this podcast because I, I pick. I kept picking up on their name in a blog uh, written by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, in the late '90s. I was a, a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, which is is obviously something that's quite embarrassing to admit in public in 2021 but i the way i got into a lot of music as a kid was just taking note of those bands that kept coming up in relation to other bands and in the red hot chili peppers defense they were very generous with that stuff they would always name check stuff that was a lot cooler i remember gang of four was a similar thing that they just kept saying what a great record entertainment was which was my route into them and then that turned into really enjoying a lot of post-punk stuff. Uh, so I, th- I think um, you know it's easy to be sniffy about bands, bands like that and fun. But <laughs> the flea kept going on about Fugazi, and I went. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to New York in the summer of two thousand when I was sixteen, and I hadn't really figured out London at that age. I, I didn't know where the good record shops were, and it was a time when it just seemed really hard to get certain things in the UK still. Like Fugazi weren't a band that 
would appear in what was the Virgin Megastore in Bromley, where I'm from in South London. It was quite an exotic thing. And um, I, I went to Tower Records in New York. I hadn't figured out where the good record shops were in New York either. And uh, I got Steady Diet. It was my first one. I've no idea why I chose that. It was it was probably the cheapest. But it's I think it's probably the worst one to get first. It, it's, it's so at odds with... Um, certainly production wise um with the rest of the records and i was i was bang into it uh on my first listen until the vocals came in and i just i just was so surprised by um how does that record start it's, is it ian or Guy on exit only it's it's Guy, right it's, yeah it's Guy. yeah and it just sounded really outrageous and to be frank to a 16 year old who was listening to the red dot chili peppers it was not to my tastes. It was it was such a, an odd, um, unusual. It was not the sort of voice I was I was used to, but I loved I loved the lyrics. And for some reason, I persisted with it. I, I suppose at a time when you didn't just have infinite music to go on to. And two years later, when they were in London for that um, those final shows, that I knew every song. So um, it was it was worth persisting with. So how many times did you get to see them? I saw four shows on that final uh, UK tour, which was in November 2002. I, I saw them once in Brighton, and I saw what would be, what turned out to be their last three shows ever at the Kentish Town Forum, which was just, just incredibly exciting. Like, they were such huge figures to me by that point. They were so big in my imagination. Like, I, I couldn't, couldn't believe the Brighton gig was the first one. I couldn't believe it when they came out beforehand, and they were sort of tuning up and sorting out all the leads and stuff. And... It, you know that that was that was not something I was used to. Like I, you know, as I'm saying, uh, I was I was in the Red Hot Chili Peppers mindset for a lot of the years before that, so I'd never seen anything quite as um, as as DIY as that. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Like almost every other band's that big that I've seen, they have roadies come out and set up all their stuff, and they dramatically come out right before they start to play their set and it's like a huge moment but Fugazi was always just like yep yeah, all right well, let's get on stage and plug our stuff in and yeah uh one of their more endearing qualities as a live band it's uh it, it always felt more real somehow completely and seemingly they were always helping getting stuff in and out of venues as well which again is not something I imagine Anthony Kiedis does very often you pr- you pronounced his name in a very fancy way just there <laughs> I'm just giving him the respect he deserves. Yeah, that actually that last tour of England that Fugazi went on figures into the song we're going to be talking about today just a little bit because the song Lockdown, uh, a few just fast facts that I have about it before we delve into the depths of it. Uh, first of all, it's the shortest song on Margin Walker, the EP, and it's the shortest song on 13 songs as a whole. And um, I always like to look up the sort of history of the band playing songs live. This frequency-wise, it's sort of in the middle of the pack for live plays. Uh, so it wasn't their most played, it wasn't their least. But they did sort of play it throughout their whole career. The last time it was ever played was October 30th, 2002. So basically, right up to the end, they were playing Lockdown, which, which surprised me. Uh, that was in Manchester, by the way, it, it appears. Yeah, I had to look at those stats as well. It, it it seemed like one they maybe had fallen out of love with a little bit in the middle. I saw, you know, I know they played a lot fewer shows in kind of 94 and, and 96, but they didn't play it at all in, in 98, only four times in 96 from what I could see. So 
maybe it was one that um, they they reassessed a little bit towards the end. Yeah, interesting. It's uh, it's it's one that I'm curious about. It seems to me definitely to be a, a more minor song, but uh, yeah, it's hard to tell. There are songs that I really like that they almost never played live, and some that that seem like not that special to me that they w- were like a mainstay. And I guess this is one of those. Yeah, but but as as far as lockdown goes, um, after those little facts, I would like to hand it off to you, Tom. I suppose it's it's best to start with the music. That I you know I I do always feel like the lyrics um, uh, are are quite a tricky thing with a lot of Fugazi songs. This one less so, perhaps. Um, musically, it's it's a song that I feel like they kind of did a little bit better. Margin Walker is a fairly obvious comparison and there's a little bit more energy to that. I think break-in from just a little bit later is is a more realised version of that incredibly fast gee song than this one. The thing I would say about Lockdown is it's a song that I should have had in my head again and again and again during the past year or so of this pandemic. And I find that little phrases in songs can be triggers for them to get stuck in my head and it it hasn't happened at all for lockdown and it's a song I know reasonably well as I do the Fugazi back catalogue really so I'm kind of interested in what mean what what is making it not catchy because I I I think something I've noticed listening to the podcast in is so many people end up singing a little bit of a song or just a little bit of a hook and and they're often quite weird interesting bits not necessarily big shout along choruses they're bass lines or little guitar riffs and sometimes even drums i don't know if there's one of those in lockdown which i think is really unusual for fugazi there's not a standout thing that sticks in your head that's true i have i do have an idea on that um first of all just a little side note yeah what you said about uh, about the past year or so you know the word lockdown has really become a huge part of our vocabulary i suppose but um yeah, just out of curiosity, I, I could hardly remember before the pandemic. Um, so I, I googled the word lockdown, sort of excluding results from 2020 and beyond. Um, you care to guess what most of the results are referring to before the uh, COVID-19 happened? Hmm. That's interesting. I, I think I've always associated it with prison. Um you're not going to tell me it's lyrics to the Fugazi song Lockdown. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Yeah, prison is what came to mind for me. But uh, yeah, it turns out most of the results I was seeing was talking about sort of lockdowns as part of a an active shooter drill in schools in the U.S. and such. So <laughs> a great a great part of U.S. culture that we can't forget. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of many things which is kind of unfortunately prescient about this song. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that aside, as far as why the song isn't catchy, the, the first thing that springs to mind is the sort of interesting, um, well, the, 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 the lyrics on the verse, right, the vocal delivery, they sort of don't snap to a grid. It starts out as if, like, sort of Guy delivers the first couple of lines sort of in time with the bars of the music, and then... He he sort of says a line that smears across the the bars of the song, right? Uh, almost, yeah. I guess the poetic term would be enjambment. Um, but yeah, they just don't really snap to the grid. It's very hard to sort of remember exactly how he uh, how he sings it if you haven't heard the song in a while, right? 
Yeah, quite. I think it's it's that first, you know, blood on pedals, blood on the track. Um, sorry, blood on the pedals. This is awful, isn't it? I should have these lyrics right just up in front of me, <laughs> ready to uh, consult at any point. Blood on the pedals, blood on the grips. Right. There's no Bob Dylan reference there. Um, uh, and that sticks out. I can kind of remember that bit. Uh, the, uh, the the five to nine will serve the nine to five stands out as well. But again, if you compare it with Margin Walker, which starts so strongly um, and gives gives that line a bit of space as well, you make yourself so beautiful. Um, it, I think you're right that the way those lines are smeared and somewhat indistinct makes it a tough song to remember. Yeah. If you put a Fugazi fan up on stage at Fugazi karaoke night and, you know, <laughs> give him the lyrics to Margin Walker. He's going to deliver it sort of perfectly as far as timing goes. But yeah, for lockdown, it's like he's going to get to that part and be like, uh, uh, how, how does this line get delivered exactly? Yeah, it's uh, a strange one. Um, that's a great that's a great spin-off uh, of the podcast. You've got to do that. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to listen to that. <laughs> Come on, we can make it work. Nobody wants to listen to karaoke to begin with. Fugazi karaoke, that's a very niche audience indeed. Um, yeah, and during the verse two, it it sounds almost like Ian can't really decide what to do. He's sort of doing this thing where he's going up and down a single string. So it sounds a little bit like a bumblebee um, yeah. uh, bumbling around. It's a little bit, little bit aimless, so adds to the non-catchy uh, feel of it, I suppose. You're, you're talking about the thing he's doing where he's sliding one finger yes. up one string back and forth very quickly. That's that's interesting because I couldn't... I, I listened to... I tried to listen to this from every year they played it. I went back through the live archives. I don't think they ever did that live. I yeah, think probably he's, not. He, he's generally doing sort of some kind of harmonic stuff or just some feedback stuff for that first section of the song. And I think that makes it sort of feel like almost an act of vandalism, like something they did in the moment, <laughs> you know, when they recorded the Margin Wall Creepy right at the end of that first European tour. Just the kind of not necessarily well-executed, slightly tired mind, uh, you know, let's, let's do this, why not leave it in? Um, the fact that they didn't try to recreate that live suggests that it wasn't a part of it they were particularly fond of. But I think it, it's not, I don't want to kind of completely rag on it. I think the thing that struck me about it, listening to it again, is it's quite an interesting bridge between the first EP and Repeater. You can hear some of the early Ian Fugazi tropes in the first verse where he's got the sort of ringing low E string and kind of then in the in the bridge, he's doing a sort of quicker power chord thing, the sort of thing he was doing to better effect by the time of Repeater. So it, it does have that feeling of like a stepping stone song. And I suppose I suppose a lot of the Margin Walker EP has a bit of that going on. Yeah, it's it's a weird outlier, the Margin Walker EP, isn't it? It's um, it's different in several ways, and, you know, not least because of that the recording circumstances you alluded to. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I remarked on this in a recent episode, but you you can almost hear them being as exhausted as they were described <laughs> to have been. If you're if you're looking to hear that, um, I, maybe that's just my imagination because I've I've heard that story. Yeah, there's certainly that aspect to it. I think I, I, they went the other way, of course, with within on the Kill Taker, which came at the end of of that. Just absolutely, when you look at that tour schedule for the first few years, just superhuman levels of endurance. And in on the Kill Taker, just goes the other way with it. It's just so intense and relentless, yeah. and they're almost kind of flexing their muscles of how tight they've become, and and, and the just the intensity of their lives that they must have had at that point. Um, 
the um, Marjorie Walker's not my favourite. I, I think one of the other reasons why this song suffers a bit is it's it, it, it's it suffers from the fact it's been compiled, and I'm sure a lot of people who experienced it as a song on an EP like it more than people like me who hear it as 13 songs, which until you've read up a little bit, you just think is the first album, right? And and if you're treating that like an album, it's a weird bit of that album sequence. It comes after that quite ropey recording of Provisional. Um, it, it wouldn't be the sort of song you would necessarily put second last on an album as it is in the context of 13 songs. Although as a late song on an album sort of reminds me that you had compared it to uh, Margin Walker. I, the, th- the thing that came to mind, probably just because of the way the intro sounds, to me is Shut the Door. Like, the intro to this is like a faster Shut the Door intro. That's, that's the fun bit, isn't it? The, the kind of one-note guitar intro. And, and there's that bit as well when Brendan is kind of riding his tom-toms in between the chorus and the second verse in a way that yes. he didn't really do very often. It's a kind of, you know... Um, just just banging on the toms. It doesn't feel like a very Brendan Canty move. Yeah, that little breakdown after the first chorus is uh, really nice, energetic. Probably one of my favorite parts of the song. I was trying to listen closely. I was like, is there also a bunch of muted guitar strumming happening that seems like it's part of the drums? Um, not totally sure, but sounds cool. Yeah, quite possibly. Hmm. Um, uh, it's uh, we've song also features a real classic churning kind of bass line from joe um it's it's not that distinctive but it is i don't know it's it's a very one of those rumbling train moving along the tracks sort of bass lines to me it's very joe lally isn't it it's um it's the sort of thing that strikes me that if you got one of those ai uh, programs to analyze all of the figazi songs that's the sort of bass line it would come up with for joe lally <laughs> Man, imagine imagine an AI that good that it could uh, produce new Fugazi songs that we could hear. I, I don't know how long I don't know how long you have to wait for that. It might not be long. <laughs> might not. Things are uh, advancing at a rather frightening pace. Quite. Um, but another part of the song that I do like a lot is the guitar part over where Guy is singing "Seal It with a Kiss," etc. Pretty cool octave chords uh, going up and down um, that I quite enjoy. Yeah, it's it's all Ian, right? Like when they did this one live, it was only Ian playing guitar. Yes. Uh, that's another thing I was going to mention about what he's doing during the verse. It does sound like there are a couple of minor guitar parts happening in there. So uh, may- maybe it's part of the decision is just like he'd rather stick to one thing rather than the little single string noodling he's doing there. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a versatile fella. I think he got more versatile than this though. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's he started good, got really good, I would say. Yeah, very much so. How about the lyrics to this one? I think that the the first lyrics to this song sort of start me off on the wrong track um, <laughs> because "Blood on the Pedals, Blood on the Grips." Immediately, I'm thinking about that. This is a song about riding a bicycle or riding a motorcycle or something, right? Yeah, it certainly sounds like it starts on a bike. Um, helpfully, though, this is a song that Guy introduced again and again and again by saying what it was about. It's it's not one of those uh, which you have to scrabble around for too long trying to figure it out. Um, although I think if I hadn't had figured that out, that <laughs> he kept introducing it by saying what it was about, I might have struggled a little bit more. But 
it's um it's about prison basically he he kept saying this is a song about going to prison he says at one point there is no peace when there are people in prison um uh, a, a couple of years later he introduced it by saying if you should ever find yourself in prison this song's for you uh, and then something he said quite a lot is god forbid you could ever go to jail uh before before starting it yes uh one more that uh, i think is a little bit revealing also is new orleans in 2002 he said once you build a prison you have to find people to put in it so uh yeah it's, um it's that was um interesting to me to 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 find that and it's uh i think if you don't know it's about prison those first lyrics can can lead you astray um but it is very interesting to circle back with that knowledge and uh look at what is going on there um and so my best guess is that Guy is here and elsewhere uh, drawing a metaphor about some sort of machinery, um, like a some sort of literal machinery, uh, specifically the kind that you uh, are riding, and the machinery of the United States prison system. Um, so, yeah, something that came to mind. You remember the um, uh, remember the show Black Mirror? I think maybe even the second episode is that sort of dystopian thing where these people are in some kind of like outer space ship and they have to ride bicycles every day to like earn credits or something like that. That was no TV show, Ian. That's the, you're describing a gym there. <laughs> uh, no, that, that does, um, that does ring a bell. I think, I think you're completely right with what you're saying about um, the, the machinery and, and the, the kind of combination of the human with the machine. As you were saying that, I started thinking about craft work and um, well, clearly man machine, but Tour de France as well, their, their obsession with the Tour de France cycle race and, and uh, you know, that idea of uh, a, a person combining with the machine. I think that that is fairly clearly what's going on here. Um, the, um, yeah, the, the the thing that also struck me about the lyrics is um, this thing Guy does a lot, which is putting in love references where you wouldn't necessarily expect them. So seal it with a kiss. Right. This idea of prison being for a prisoner's own good or at least society's own good done with as much genuine love as signing a postcard with, off with an ex. Like, uh, and it, it reminded me a little bit of Do You Like Me, where he's using kind of language of a crush to describe a corporate merger or whatever is going on in a song like oh which is just you know layers upon layers of unusual <laughs> kind of corporate and um love references um uh kind of piling up on one another if there's anything that Guy songs really have in common it's a sort of knack for making you feel uncomfortable and that um incongruous way of using love language is certainly one of the methods by which he does that that's yeah very uh incisively observed i think yeah it's up there with his um kind of body horror stuff isn't it <laughs> yeah it's a little hr giger-esque in this song how it yeah combines the machinery uh imagery with the the humanity um but yeah i and i think you're right there's this notionally the the prison system is reformatory but man it's <laughs> on a lot of levels it really doesn't seem that way um and of course Guy, uh well later in at least chronologically speaking Guy addresses this subject briefly also in do you like me where he references the uh, sort of for-profit prison industry yeah it, it sort of became a a big point of concern for Fugazi 
and in fact, um, Fugazi actually played at a prison in 1990, uh, which is Lorton in Northern Virginia. It's featured in the film Instruments. Um, I don't know if you've watched that recently, but it's interesting. It seems very sparsely attended when they played this prison. Um, and in an interview, Guy once called it perhaps the most awkward and strange show we ever played. <laughs> There's a guy who gets on the drums, isn't there, in the film, which um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure Brendan would have been happy about. I don't think I've ever seen an interview with them discussing that show at length. I'm very curious about the circumstances around it and their experience of it. Something I'd like to read about someday. Yeah, yeah, I wish there was a film of that. But yeah, the the idea of of the prison system being a boon and where it's so problematic. And of course, it, we have to bring up the role that race plays in the prison system where basically every step of the way is biased and stacked against black Americans, right? Like black Americans are more likely to be stopped by police. And when they're stopped, they're more likely to be arrested. And when they're arrested, they're more likely to be charged. And when they're charged, they're more likely to be, you know, know, prosecuted successfully and convicted, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then of course, after that's all done, if they get out of prison or if they get paroled, uh, well, then they have a a criminal record and things are just that much worse so yeah it it ends up being a a pretty racist system that that we've got over here yeah much much the same over here really ian i mean it's it's you know the opposite of rehabilitation for most people it's clearly not a deterrent um but you know i think the other thing that struck me with the lyrics is as with so many things they're they're just massively ahead of the game. Like the the other thing he kept saying, introducing it, especially um, towards the sort of late nineties, early noughties, was um, talking about the two largest growth industries being gambling and prison construction. And then he makes that overt connection in the lyrics: the five to nine will serve the nine to five. Presumably talking about a five to nine prison stretch. That connection with commerce, the the idea of the kind of nine to five job, uh, you know, as as I'm sure we'll get to when when we come to ratings. Um, this is not my favourite Fugazi song, but I just think the the art and care that has gone into thinking about lyrics like that that just rewards this sort of thinking about them more carefully. Um, I can't think of many bands who who do that better. Yeah, there's there's a lot of in this song too about viewing people in prison as disposable i mean the word trash is certainly uh sprinkled into the song fairly liberally um and you know trash also being sort of sealed in to this container that they're put in and quote left onto the corner of your mind to disappear super sad and i think it's very true i I don't think most people spend a lot of time thinking about or worrying about the population of incarcerated people and it's it's not you know prison reform is often a little bit of a third rail it's not something that gets politicians votes uh it's they're seen as soft on crime if they want to do anything about it so it seems very hard to improve the the plight of people who are you know lost into this uh vast network of uh sadness but I think Guy really wears his emotions on his sleeve uh, when when he's writing this one. Yeah, the trash stuff. The trash is trash until it's sealed from above line. It made me um, it made me think of a band that Guy ended up producing, the Blood Brothers, uh, with their song "Trash Flavor Trash." Um, the, the way you're describing that, it, it is incredibly serious and it, it, horrible stuff to dwell on. Um, I think 
this is another kind of miraculous thing about Fugazi. It's kind of a fun song. It's it's you know it's a really enjoyable um, thing to listen to. Certainly, you can imagine this being sort of thrown midway into a set, and you know, no one's favourite. I don't think uh, no one's going away being like absolutely lockdown was the highlight of either that gig or or their career, but. There's such joy in everything they do as well, and I, I think that you know that makes the message ultimately far more, um, far more powerful. Yeah, um, I mean, you you brought up Bob Dylan earlier. Um, Hurricane is a song that comes to mind. It's uh, about a very similar subject matter, but yeah, it's kind of a fun song, kind of like a catchy little chorus um, that's really sing alongable um, in a in a slightly incongruous way. Yeah, it's a good good way to get the message across. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So you had uh, uh, mentioned the the numbers five to nine, nine to five, and your feelings about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? So why don't we get into it? Um, and I'll I'll let you go first. So. Tom Gibbs, if you could rate this song, Lockdown, on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think anyone not doing this bit is absolutely cowardly. Come on, you've got <laughs> to do the rating. Um, I think you've got to, when, when you give that proviso of within the Fugazi catalog, this is a minor work in the Fugazi catalog. Something's got to score a one star I'm going to take that hit for you, Ian. I think this is a one-star Fugazi song for me. Um, thank God for the fact that I never delete my old emails because I found in 2007 I um, I ranked the 109 Fugazi songs which were widely available at that time, um, and I had locked down at 103, and I, I sort of stick by it. I, it's not one of my favourites. And yet, thinking about it, listening to it, trying to figure out a little bit how it worked on the guitar, incredibly rewarding. <laughs> um. Here is where I will make a very embarrassing omission and people will say, this guy is not qualified to host a Fugazi <laughs> podcast. Um, but I, as I got this project rolling and the ideas were coalescing, I was compiling information and stuff. Somebody mentioned to me sort of in passing the song Lockdown and I went, Fugazi has a song called Lockdown? Um, which one is that? How does that go? I honestly couldn't remember it. Um so I think what you were saying before about it not sticking in your mind, uh, I experienced that um, absolutely. And I think this is probably the only song in the Fugazi catalog where I could say that, that there was ever a time that you could say the, this, the, t- the title to me and I would be like, uh, I can't bring to mind how that song goes. So yes, I'm, I'm very ashamed that this song slipped my mind. Um, I will say that um, probably uh, we'll we'll get to this in just a bit, but yeah, when I ask uh, people on social media their opinions for this one, very few people chimed in at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's not memorable for a lot of people. I will agree with you. For me, this is a one-star Fugazi song, and but I think it's interesting how it's it's like a perfect example of what a one-star Fugazi song is. I was thinking about it like if I went to see my friend's band play. And they played this, and like this is their song that they introduced to me. This is a song that I would be like, man, I really liked that that one song you guys did, "Lock Down the Remains." <laughs> that was great. Like you guys were fantastic. Um, but so yeah, in that context, it would be 
it would be a very nice song. As a Fugazi song, it's very ordinary. It's uh, for a band that is almost always extraordinary. So yeah, for me, I think it's got to be a one-star song. Yeah, I'm glad we've taken this step together, Ian. Important <laughs> to give a one-star. Yeah, it's it's nice to uh, have somebody to take the fire uh, with me for, <laughs> uh, for ardent fans of Lockdown. Um, if there are any out there, um, uh, you know, email me. If, if this is anyone's favorite song, I'd be very interested to hear about it. I think, unfortunately, we've all had enough of lockdown. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's wearing on us as a concept <laughs> entirely. Um, but yeah, to, to give a voice to those people on social media, just a few of them, they say, uh, Josh Saunders says, prescient song title, the two main riffs are a nice harmonic contrast to the initial one is, I believe, a tritone, deliberately dissonant, then followed by the consonant power chord chorus, which is triumphantly major key. Unter Hobbit says, always enjoyed the groove and cadence of this song, one that invites, even urges, uh, to get some dance moves in. Justin Stiegel says, Lockdown is like the song Margin Walker's Little Brother, similar to what you observed there, Tom. Mm. Uh, and Gonzalo Leva Bastias says, in live versions, this song reminds me a lot of Repeater, Brendan's drum beat during the verses specifically. So there you go. That's what the listener community has to say about this one cool well that brings us to the point where i'm just going to ask you tom if you have any plugs can listeners reach you somewhere and do you have anything coming up uh writings or any kind of other projects that you would like people to check out oh well i'd I'd love for people to visit um hendrick's blog one week one band uh, and have a look at the fugazi weekend explore beyond that by all means um it was made in tumblr in 2012 so i think quite a lot of the pictures don't work anymore but the writing i would still give a solid six out of ten in places um if you're interested in some soccer writing with some half-formed jokes then um if you just google my name which is tom with an h gibbs and the telegraph it's all there (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for uh, dumbing down that to soccer for, for our American friends. Um, <laughs> can I also read about sports like cricket and snooker that will totally mystify me? <laughs> Cricket's not that hard. It's not that hard. You you, un- you understand baseball. Oh, for goodness sake, the nation, <laughs> the nation of America understands American football. It took me genuinely five years to have a clue what was going on in an nfl game and i'm still not there completely like it's really it's really not that hard yeah it's not that we're incapable of understanding things but man getting us to care that's the real trick (laughs) that's the thing with cricket i mean it is it is days of your life but that's that's the sort of same appeal as baseball you you go to the baseball to be slightly bored don't you it's the appeal yeah i absolutely agree it's it's one of those things that's boring in a pleasant way like uh like an art film or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Well, there you go. You can go check out that writing at the Telegraph, um, which that's another thing um, about uh, about Great Britain that I'd never understand is it seems as though every time I see some article uh, from from a British newspaper online, there's always someone in the comments saying, oh, well, this paper is crap. Nobody reads this. It seems like they say that about every paper, and I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, I'm, I'm sure The Telegraph is one of the good ones, though. I'm not going to sit here and make you defend your employer. So uh, your, your mileage may vary on that statement depending <laughs> on a, a variety of factors, but I would absolutely back our sport coverage above all of our rivals. <laughs> 
Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, as always, listeners, uh, if you want to reach me, the email address is fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You can hop on that Facebook group I referenced. It's just called the Alphabetical Fugazi. If you type that in the search bar, you'll get there. Make sure you answer the uh, the question. All I will ask you is who plays bass in the band so that I can uh, rule out spammers. So, uh, yeah, just, just tell me that it's Joe and you're in. You're in like Flynn, as they say. <laughs> and uh, other than that, I just hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Long Distance Runner. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs> <laughs>